Hi, I'm Tisha. I'm Juanita. And I'm Kim. And we're here with Off the Shelf, a casual talk podcast where we break down the books about spirituality and self-growth that resonate with us. We're working in alignment with BubblesAndBooks.com, a monthly subscription service that offers the books and handmade bath and body items. In today's episode, we are talking about, is it your erroneous zones? Yes. Or the erroneous zones? Yes, your erroneous zones. (laughs) (laughs) by Wayne Dyer. Yeah. In fact, I have a little background on Wayne. He's one of my favorites, uh, favorite author, speakers. Um, Definitely, I will tell you, influences a lot of my coaching. So Wayne Dyer was an internationally renowned author and speaker in the fields of self-development and spiritual growth. And over the four decades in his career, he wrote more than 400 books, including 21 New York Times bestsellers. He created many audio and video programs and appeared on thousands of television and radio shows. Um, I have a little bit more here that's actually relevant to the book and the understanding of it. So he starred in 10 national public television specials, which raised over $250 million for public television. It was called the father of motivation and became quite famous for it. He was uh, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, got his doctorate, and in his early work at the college level teaching and then clinical psychology, he discovered a widespread need for the principles of self-discovery and personal growth and sought to bring these ideas to a wider audience. This book, Your Erroneous Zones, is his first book, and it was published in 1976 and became an international bestseller, and it launched his career. So this is going back to the beginning. This book is from 1976, and it was his breakout book, and he became famous. And he did pass away in 2015, just a a few months shy of me actually seeing him in person. But, you know, he, but he's timeless and eternal and his work is so wonderful. Wow. It's crazy that this book was from 1976. Like it's, I'm only three years older than this book. (laughs) And to think that all this information has been available my whole life and I've just like come across it (laughs) is crazy. Right. I felt that way when I first saw him doing a PBS special was the first time I heard his teaching. And I thought, where has this man been my whole life? Honest wow. to goodness. I, I thought what he was saying made so much sense. And as I began to read his books and listen to his teachings, so much made sense. And I have to say, he, his first book, even the title talks about what he was trying to do. It's, it's faulty thinking that we have some faulty foundations mm-hmm. as human beings, as societies, we have some faulty thinking. And so he's addressing that faulty thinking for those of us who want to live more comfortable lives, more peaceful lives, balanced, feeling good about the magnificent human beings that we are, which is how we should feel. Be honest, didn't you just want to give this book to like five people you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, can you just read this so like my life is easier? 
<laughs> I wanted to everyone. In fact, it's it's he's not just the father of motivation. He's like the father of my business because I feel like that's exactly how I felt, Tisha. And I I developed the idea from his teaching that this needs to be on Main Street much more than it is. And and my coaching practice was born. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. And I knew I had texted Kim and was like, well, I don't know if I texted you, but I was thinking the whole time, like, this is like Kim's like grandpa voice. Like, this is her (laughs) conscious voice in her head where she's mine. This is her conscious voice. Because he's so like grandfatherly and and like relaxed, but so smart, like so insightful about stuff. And it made me feel so much better just the way he presented it, too. So and it's not a sex book. <laughs> I was thinking I wanted to <laughs> say that. he thought people were getting something else. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you don't have to like hide it when you bring it home. Um, he starts out the gate, like, you got to put the responsibility on yourself, like not your family, you're a choice making individual. And, you know, you can help how you feel. And I 100% agree with that. A 1000% agree with that. I've always kind of felt like that I didn't like to play the blame game, I guess, because when you really think about it, you know, that's just the easy way out. And I see what it happens to other people when they just blame everybody else, then they take no responsibility for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. And you don't get anywhere with that. The nice part about what he's saying, he he supports it, you in that. So okay, you want to take charge of yourself, you're ready to do that. Here's how to look inward and maybe recreate some of those foundations so that you feel supported in that start with yourself first. Okay, so we all listened and Kim read the book. I listened to it on Audible and Juanita watched it on YouTube. So we're not <laughs> sure that we've all heard the same material. <laughs> but what I did get out of it were nine zones that he talked about, some more than others. So first was self-doubt, and then there was approval seeking, being trapped by your past, guilt and worry, uh, fear of the unknown, Justice trap, we'll explain that a little bit more, procrastination, anger, and independence. So in my version, he covered, really covered, me and Juanita's version, he really covered the first five pretty in-depth. And then he kind of ran out of time, I think, just was like, and these are the last four, so... I was wondering too, since he wrote this book so long ago and he was speaking so long ago, I think they probably, and I say they, who's they, his publishing company may have just grabbed a lecture that was actually a book talk and put it on as the the audio book. And I highly recommend the audio because you kind of felt like you were just having a conversation with them, like... You're having a coffee with a wise mm-hmm. old man who is telling you all these secrets. So I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. And I didn't think it was, I figured he's the author. He knows what he's <laughs> yeah, talking he, about. He probably has a little experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. The first zone or do you have something before? No, let's just shoot out. Let's just take tackle all those areas. Cause I could talk up a blue streak. I could, 
I could talk about this stuff so much. So you just shoot out a zone or or an area and I'll go. I got a lot to say. I'm going to try and even hold back. I'm going to start with the first one because everybody goes through this. And this is stuff that I always need reinforced is self-doubt. And then people get on me about that too. And I'm like, am I really like that? And then when I think about it, I really am like that sometimes. So self-doubt is basically always telling yourself that you're too something, that you're too (laughs) tall, short, fat, skinny, boring, whatever that the word is that you want to fit in there. And maybe not enough. I think it's part of our human condition to feel like we might not be enough in whatever context we mean that in whatever context we're thinking of. And I think that's definitely an erroneous zone that he wanted to get out there for people is that you are enough. You are a magnificent human being. And, you know, people, no one knows what's written on your soul. So people might be judging you. Uh, we've talked about that a lot, right, Tisha, with doing a podcast. Or what, people might be judging the things that you're doing, but no one knows what's written on your soul and what you're compelled to do sharing your your skills, talents, and abilities in the world. is a, It's a good example where you could doubt yourself because you're seeking approval from someone else. Mm-hmm. And he talked about... I. He talked about how a person that has um, self doubt is is a burden yeah. to others. Yeah. So I yeah I, I took note of that. Like I never thought about it that way. Right. You're not doing people favors, right? By being like, oh, I just doubt. I'm looking for your approval. That's we want to be our best selves and our whole selves. Mm-hmm. He wrote or said. You know, what's the point of finding fault in yourself? Look at what your body, look at the body you've shown up in. And it's not selfish to be like that. And then he also said about the people who live in self-doubt, they don't know how to live life, right? So I see, I can understand that a lot. You know, you you go somewhere fun. Oh, no, no, I I don't want to do that. Like, you know, those people who need catered to sort of like, you can do it. No, no, no. (laughs) And then it kind of ruins the fun for everybody else. You're like, you know, just sit there then and we'll go do the fun thing. You know, I, I assume that's what they mean by the burden, right? Yeah, it's requiring other people to be lifting you up, championing you to a certain extent. People shouldn't have to do so much of that. Uh, mm-hmm. Look inside and find it and be free of the fact that maybe you think you should be doubting yourself, but that you shouldn't. Like this is where that fatherly, grandfatherly advice can come from is like, nope, it doesn't mean it's not the right way to walk around doubting yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if it was this particular section. One of them, he threw out so many examples that I couldn't write them all down of like, for example, the one thing I did write was about self-rejection. That would be like not buying yourself something because you feel like you're not worth it or, you know, it's not outside of a financial situation, you know, just not buying it for yourself or not accepting compliments, mm-hmm. um, not accepting credit, but giving it to others. Because that's a function of self-worth. And that's the er- erroneous zone he's trying to fix or clear up for us is that we are worthy. Yeah. I I, I had to laugh to myself because 
I was getting on the highway last week and I started listening and he talked about that, Tisha, about the, um, I got to that part mm-hmm. about the compliment. And when I, before I got on the highway, I had stopped and got gas and the girl in the, um, <laughs> the girl in the store that was checking me out, she's like, you're so beautiful. And I'm like, no, you're beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, your eyes and everything. She's like, yeah, your eyes. I'm like, no, your eyes. <laughs> Instead of just saying thank you, like I felt self-conscious, like I had to compliment her back instead of just saying, yeah, thank you. I think these are the things too that stick in my mind a little bit that gives me the courage to just say thank you, like the first time, and then maybe it gives Mm -hmm. me a little bit more practice to say it. Like Kim says a lot, like, oh, you do all this, and I'm like, eh, you know, I... <laughs> right, I'm like always, blow up. yeah. I'm always doing that, and especially giving, not taking credit for something, not accepting credit, but giving it to somebody else. So, like, do you all feel that, like you just mm-hmm. said, that need to? No, you are, and it's that endless cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So just know, sometimes you can just say thank you. Yes, and also he said. Like someone says, you look nice today. Try, as he said, try a simple thank you, even if you have to fake it. Right. So that's what I would do. Like, mm-hmm. thank you. And then just shut up. Right. Like that's, that's a practice I have to get better at. <laughs> You're explaining things away. One thing I fall into the trap of is someone says, Oh, that outfit looks nice. And I'll be like, Oh, this was, you know, this was on the clearance <laughs> rack. And there's, they're like, just say thank you. Right. <laughs> this old thing. Yeah. This old thing. It's the old this old thing thing. Another one, a really good one. Accept the affection others send your way instead of doubting it. Like, how could they possibly like me? How could that be? Yeah. That's very common, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw myself in every example. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yep, did that. Yep, did that. (laughs) You should just fall asleep listening to the YouTube bike daily because if you think about it, he, it launched his career. I mean, he became very famous after this book because that's how many people resonated with this. Yeah, it's definitely 1000% the basics of human experience, but narrowed down so concisely that you can't not mm-hmm. see yourself. And yeah. just a little fun fact too, uh, trivia is that he left a professorship to go sell this book around the country in his car. And he, he, people thought he was crazy. I, his wife thought he was crazy and he believed in it so much that he, he packed it up and he was like, I think this is what I want to do for a living. And if you think about it without knowing that he became famous and you think about the time period it was too in the early seventies or mid seventies, it's, it was crazy. People don't leave a tenured college professorship. You know, that's like the job you try and get. You became like this traveling hippie to everybody's mind where they're like, yeah, whatever. And then. Like, you're crazy, you know, you're leaving something secure and you're risking. And so he was an amazing human being. You know, he walked the walk too. 
and in the things that he talked about, he he took those risks. Is he the one that coined the term, uh, the uh, phrase, there's no way to happiness, happiness is the way? Or was that someone else? Yes. Yes. I just heard him say it. I'm not sure he was the original person. I think that might be Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh. Oh. Who passed away recently. And I think Tibet, Tibetan monk. But it was definitely something that, Wayne had a big stage, so things that he yeah. he did create a lot of sayings, and I think he took a lot that a lot of people didn't know and made them much yeah. more popular. Oh, okay, yeah, I did. I've heard him say that more than mm-hmm. once. Um, I've listened to uh, his talks, other talks yeah. on YouTube. All right, number two, approval seeking. <laughs> this is huge. Yeah. This is huge because we want to do it when we have aspirations, we're doing things, we want to judge our success or our future success based on whether people think it's a good idea or not. Yeah. So when we're trying to seek the approval of others in what we're trying to do for work, how we're acting, how we're behaving, we start to lose authenticity and Really, that person might be someone we admire, it might be a parent, it might be a spouse, but again, they don't know who you're supposed to be. So we can't over seek approval from others. We can't let it limit us. We can't let our music die within us because other people didn't think it was a good idea. You can enjoy approval. You can want approval, but you you shouldn't need it. It shouldn't affect you if you don't get it. Precisely. Right? And in our defense, we were raised in an approval-seeking society. So we've, mm-hmm. from the ground up, we've been raised by, we've been raised to seek approval from parents, teachers, other people in authority. So basically, every mm-hmm. time we think about the way someone thinks, you know, or does, we're considering their opinion to be more important than our own. And that's just Mm -hmm. the bottom line of that whole scenario. And you can think of probably a million times that's happened where you're like, you know, your parents or or whatever. Um, And so you grew up with that for years and years and years. It's not just going to change because you said it one time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I recently had uh, had I've I've been like that, you know, seeking approval my whole life. Right. Until very recently that that was what I wanted and, and, and needed. And then, um, a situation came up where everyone didn't approve and I had to decide, am I going to let their lack of approval stop me from what, you know, happiness. And basically. can you imagine if you said no? Uh. Right. Now, no, I could not imagine if I said no. And then when you think about it, those people, whoever they are, family, friends, strangers, whatever, they go on about living their own personal daily lives. And you've possibly given up something or someone based on what they thought yeah. about it. And and then they just, and then they, life goes yeah. on. Oh, yeah, their life so, goes on and yeah. then it's interfered mm-hmm. with your life. One of, <laughs> right. one of the most famous quotes that Wayne did not create, I don't believe, but he shared it over and over and over again. And I, cause I think it was an Abraham Maslow quote 
who was sort of a mentor to him in getting into this work, talking about um, positive psychology versus abnormal psychology. And it is this. It is important to be independent of the good intention of other people, Mm. the good opinion of other people. Now I have heard that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... Again, it can totally interfere with your life and how your life's supposed to unfold based on what their thoughts and opinions are. And it doesn't mean that they're ill-intentioned. Well, they might have mm-hmm. your best interest at heart. He noted that the people, the people who care most about you are likely to show the most disapproval. Right. Because mm-hmm. they don't want to see you get hurt. They don't want to see you be sad. They don't want to mm-hmm. see, you right. know. And in Juanita, you're, in your situation, you can understand where people were coming from, but at the same time, yeah, you couldn't let it interfere on Mm -hmm. your life and your potential happiness. Yeah. And that you're the ultimate judge. Right. It's your life. You have to live it, right? How many times have you heard that? Right. Exactly. My favorite, favorite part of this section that he spoke, he was talking about producing his own material and just putting it out there. And, you know, he's come to expect... And appreciate the negative feedback. You know how we are today in the world of trolls. So my favorite thing you said was mm-hmm. super offhandedly. It was like, that's fine. Go out and produce your own stuff and see how you do. <laughs> like, <laughs> that resonated so for me because I felt like that since the beginning of this whole podcast thing. I've never doubted any of it. I, I can't explain it. It's like I go into this vortex that's something totally separate from my life. And no one's ever come at me negatively, you know. But that's exactly what I think. Well, it's how many people are actually doing this, you know, and continuing to do this. Like, go out and do it yourself and see how easy it really isn't. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Well, he said, too, at, at some point he would take – he would send – the positive responses to the person that had sent him something negative. But then I like that eventually he just was like, whatever, you know, he didn't even respond to it because for every negative, you know, there were a hundred positive and that there's always going to be that. He talked about how, um, what, what did he talk about the landslide? But it was only like by two or 3%. There was an election and he he was saying that, you know, they qualified it as a landslide, but that, you know, 47% of the people had voted for the other right, guy right. <laughs> and they qualified it as a landslide. So he connected that like you're always going to have some, a little negative, but focus on the positive. All right. Anything else with self, uh, what was it? Approval, Approval seeking. seeking. Did I do okay? Did I do okay on that one? <laughs> you don't need that. <laughs> I just wanted to mention, um, he talked about the, and I think you mentioned it already, Tisha, like the I'm, he referred to it as the I'm circle. And I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm shy, I'm, you know, this and that. That's in the next one. Oh, yeah. The I'm circle comes into Is the- Is it the next one? By your past. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Just, but but yeah, it contributes. It relates because then one thing leads to the other, to the other. You have self doubt, and then you feel trapped. All of a sudden, and then you're guilty, and you feel worried. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's all it's all one really bad yeah. day. <laughs> so the third one is actually called being trapped by your past, and trapped is a really good word. 
as you think, so you shall be, is a quote he used from Proverbs. I used, I wrote that down too. Yeah. And he said, your life is really how you think of it. It is all perspective. Like, what else do you have? It doesn't look like it sometimes when you let everybody else's noise in your head. So the eyes you were talking about, he says, that's one of the traps that immobilize us. That was a very big word he used a lot. The mm-hmm. eye circle. I'm no good at math. So you put a label on yourself. Actually, I added the math part. (laughs) (laughs) You personalized it. it. (laughs) I'm no good at math. So you put a label on yourself and you live by that label. And then ultimately, you could be screwing yourself out of an opportunity to get better at math because you've just dismissed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess that would be the uh, approval seeking, right? Or that other people can, can label you too. Like if you're, you know, your family can say you're shy because you you used to be. So you carry, you keep carrying that and label and you, meaning I, yes, <laughs> you know, still carry that into adulthood. And then you, I find myself acting that way because that's my label in the family. Yeah. She's the shy one. She's the quiet exactly. one. Exactly. And and underneath, you're like, no, I'm not really. <laughs> I'm doing yeah, podcasts. Really right. I'm in commercials for the United Way. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't work out like that. That's right. Right. It's only relative. Yeah. It's only relative. So I, I use that example a lot in coaching groups is you know, someone in the family is the smart one, the funny one, mm-hmm. the, you know, and it's like, well, you're, it's only relative to who you're trying to compare yourself to in that moment. It doesn't mean, you know, you're not good at any of those things. And, and to, but I also caught this thing where the I'm circle, I'm this, I'm that labeling immobilizing. I am starts the word immobilize. So if you can kind of just use that to just remember, if you start catching yourself, I'ming, you're going to immobilize yourself. I'ming myself. That's very good. The example he used was he was in a restaurant once and a waiter got all worked up and mad and he was just frustrated. (laughs) And he got up and he's like, like, dude, what's wrong? And the guy's response was, I'm Italian. So he felt like it was okay (laughs) to just, you know, be an angry ball of mess because he was Italian. So there's no other way. (laughs) Right. That's funny. And being trapped by your past, too, is... What we want to do to live good lives is we want to turn anything into a lesson. So if there's something in the past that didn't go right, you just shift it to what did I learn? What's the lesson? Not just keep looking in the rearview mirror and be being regretful or letting that immobilize you. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about his example was about music. I'm not musical, so you stay away from it for the rest of your life. And I was thinking, I've said that to myself so many times. I grew up next to a music instructor for like the good first part of my life. Never took a lesson. I did flute once in like fourth grade, but I think even the instructor was like, if she wants to quit, that's okay. So I just never, you know, went back to it and I never thought about it. But I've been thinking about it more and more now. And I know in my mind, I'm like, well, I haven't figured it out by now. Yeah. But it's never too late. So anyone even listening can think, was there something you just thought you weren't good at, but for some reason you are interested in it? Now's the time. Wayne Mm -hmm. has opened the door. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. 
open the door for you to go back and revisit that. The past is the past. Yeah. And the future is there and there's only today, right now. And one thing that he says a lot in a lot of different talks that he's given to is, and he was an older gentleman and he'd be saying, I'm all the cells in my body have regenerated. I'm not even the same cellular person that I was when I was first born. And then he'd make a joke about being bald. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it's true. If you think about it, we're changing all the time. So we can't compare to before. Oh, I didn't, you know, if it's, if it's calling to you, if anything's of interest to you, it's interesting for a reason. So mm -hmm. I, I didn't that. know he said that about the cells, right? That wasn't part of this book, but I just thought about that the other day. I was like, you know, things are getting better and I'm not even who I used to be seven years ago because all my cells are new. <laughs> That's right. He used to say stuff like that. Yeah, You're right. I've heard that before. You were on it. All right. Guilt and worry. Good from a, oh. from a good Catholic girl. Grew up. This in, is such a waste of time. Right? Who you grew up grew with. Up guilt. Mm -hmm. A lot of us did. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. he says guilt is very effective at getting people to do what you want and to conform. You think about just in an advertisement you set you see for the stray dogs, right? They make you feel so guilty that you're the only person on the planet whose money will help save these poor sad dogs, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it works. It works every time. All advertising does that. Mm -hmm. It It's understandable, but all advertising is trying to tell you, you'd be better if you had something, this something. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And you should have this something. He said, guilt is the immobilization that comes from living in the past. But being immobilized by something that has already happened is silly. So makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We were just talking about that. Where were we talking about that before the show? Like, there's nothing you can do. It's, go it's over. You know, you have to look at today and forward. Right. Yeah, I've heard, I think it was Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about that as well. Like, it, the only thing is now. Yeah. Does he have a book title? Yeah, The that? Power of Now. Oh, the <laughs> Power of Now. <laughs> the Power of Now. There we we're go. supposed to do, we're supposed yeah. to do those, one of those eventually. Yeah. I, <laughs> I want to do an Eckhart yeah. book. Definitely. They have a lot in common, he and mm -hmm. Wayne. The way they pull um, in resources similarly to tell, to tell a story or to share a lesson. And just my thoughts on guilt, worry, is it's a waste of energy. And it's in many ways a waste of your imagination as well. Worry, thinking about something that's in the future that might not come to And pass. feeling guilty won't change the past. Like just because you feel terrible mm -hmm. now doesn't mean it's going to like magically transform what happened before. You could do better moving forward, you know, putting your mm -hmm. focus on that and moving forward. He said, instead of feeling guilty, be accepting of yourself now. Don't feel guilty when they don't. I don't know what I wrote there. Don't feel guilty when they don't like what you do. So somebody else's opinion again. You know, there's your mm -hmm. uh, approval seeking, things like that. Mm -hmm. It's all linked together. It's all linked mm -hmm. together. It's all linked together. And it all, even um, like you said, the Eckhart Tolle, you know, it, Maybe that's why this felt so familiar because it's all like the same messaging pretty much. And then even I'm always thinking about 
the four agreement I, me too. too. Like I can always <laughs> connect oh. this stuff to the four agreements. Every time something happens, I'm like, don't take it personally. Juanita would be so proud. <laughs> like that's the thought yeah. train that goes in my head because I know you guys do it too. I know you guys pick those agreements and use them when you need to use them. That has always been in my mind. Absolutely. Yep. And it is coming from the same root. This is if we think, well, Wayne, you're just a crazy guy. Uh, these other authors are saying the same thing. Uh, it is there, it is universal guidance. And even Eckhart says, uh, there's a part of you, you know, the real you, the you in way deep down in there that knows what I'm saying and understands it. And I think there's a part too why this book became so popular was people read it. One, they felt unburdened. Two, they felt like they had a roadmap to a new way. And three, it did touch a universal deep down truth that your being versus your thinking or your conditioning knows. What's so sad mm -hmm. though is that this is all resonates for the whole human, like humanity, right? But we're not taught mm -hmm. it. It's hidden in some spirituality or self growth section in some bookstore, right? It's not being mm -hmm. taught in school. It's not being shared. It's like actually woo woo or something like, why would you read those self help books? You know? <laughs> yeah. I think we even, um, working, um, in a healthcare system, I've noticed there, there is a shift happening to put more emphasis. They, it's like everyone is starting to realize how important mental health and well-being is and affects your actual health. Yeah. Yeah. How do you not think that, you know, your yeah, brain is know. part of your body? Like, and it's a separate part. Well, <laughs> it's a separate part. So if you have a brain tumor, your, you know, your insurance will cover it or something. But if you have depression or anxiety, maybe it won't because, you know, that's mm -hmm. a different part of your brain. It's so ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I have to say it is starting to shift though, very, very much. And I feel like Wayne and his book started a, a more of a trend and an interest way back then. But the shift even in school classroom, some teachers are trying to instill more of your, you know, goodness and that sense of self, that self-esteem. I have mm -hmm. to say that sometimes when we have generational grumblings, uh, maybe again, <laughs> older people against millennials, it's, you know, some of that is coming from the fact that they were raised with self-esteem. They were raised by thinking that the, what they thought mattered. So I think in parenting has moved forward more than, uh, many generations ago. I think schools are teaching more of that. You are valued and even workplaces are starting to bring more well-being support into the workplace and insurance is starting to broaden a little bit yeah. in even in what they cover. Yeah. Well, insurance don't make any sense either because your teeth are a totally separate entity too also like from the rest of your body. So like... Oh, and your and eyes your too. Eyes. The teeth and eyes should not be separate. Yeah, exactly. Like, how did they do figure? It's because it's more money, I guess. It's like about... That's basically what comes down to the manipulation, guilting everybody into doing things and to conform. That was the whole sentence of you know guilt uh, but worry we would be remiss if we missed the worry part so he said worry makes no sense to worry about uh anything that's not 
that you have no control over and using the present moment for worrying about what's going to happen. You know, there's so many other things you could be doing instead. And I have to remind myself of that, like every 24 minutes. Right. Same. He had the funniest list of worries and I only wrote two of them down, but he was like, I mean, it was like probably 40 of them or something. He was just rattling them off and he's like, my daughter's virginity, worrying about not worrying. And and it was, <laughs> and you see yourself in at least one of those examples, if not all 40, right? So mm-hmm. we all worry. Yeah, worry is, worry is a big energy waster and it's the low hanging fruit we can address in coaching is not to spend too much energy there, trusting yourself that you can handle things when they come down the pike. You know, if it's something you need to address and it move things into action, not worry. And there is one thing, I don't know if I'm going to jump in out of order here, but uh in breaking barrier of convention was one of the things he talked about, like break, breaking convention is, was his fool uh, acronym, no, which I thought was kind of neat. I don't remember. So it was focusing on others' line, F O O L, focusing on others' line. And so he drew this line, and way, way, way on the left side was blame, and way, way, way on the right side was hero worship. And so one of the things that, and maybe this is in with approval or even worry or feeling self-doubt all in there, but it's like, watch ourselves. It's, we are fools if we are focusing on others too much, where we're blaming others or we're actually hero worshiping others. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So I just thought that was a useful tool to keep, keep people more centered Mm-hmm. Don't be a, an in, immobilized fool. That's what the, right. the basis of this. <laughs> yes, <right>. exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. The fifth one was fear of the unknown. And I think that was mostly about, I, I got, I got this out of it, that security is something that people believe actually exists. But the only kind of security there really is, is inner security. So you could be a millionaire, but you could lose all your money tomorrow. You know, you could Mm -hmm. be this, but you could do this. Yeah. So there is actually no such thing as security. Um, but people are afraid to, uh, afraid to dip their toe in the unknown just because of worry. Right. So Mm -hmm. for instance, Mm -hmm. the people who retire at 65 or 70 years because then they're going to travel and then suddenly three months later they die you know what i mean like those kind of things their whole life they saved and they were going to do this and they would take the trip you know eat the cake as they say uh at least Mm -hmm. and not be afraid of it they also say people are afraid of the unknown um based on labels that other people put on us and on themselves so you become judgmental you have prejudices not like societal prejudice prejudices Mm -hmm. but it's about prejudging life oh i love this i started i highlighted it some people live 90 years and some live one year 90 times so he was mm-hmm. talking about you take your family to the same beach every year on the third week of July. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> someone says, let's go to Italy. What? No, 
I could never. You know, they they rob people there. I've heard it. People have gone, you know, gone over there and they got robbed because they were a tourist. I just totally made that up. But that that's the kind of fear <laughs> of the unknown examples that he was giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we want to make sure we're living our lives. This is a precious gift. And n- not letting fear rob you of things that you do want to do. Mm-hmm. And fear, there's way too much fear in society. And and we talk about that. I think it comes up in all these books. Yeah, yeah for sure. I think, yeah. I, I, does anybody else do this? <laughs> This is this is not a good thing to do, <laughs> but I do. You're thinking you have us intrigued. No, I know. Oh. No, um, so I'm 48. So I'll think how like can, will I live 48 more years? That would make me 96 when I die. Like there's a lot that's happened in yeah. 48 years. So what more will happen in 48 more years? Yeah. And then I think, but then I could die tomorrow. Like. <laughs> You are not alone. As, okay. As we say often, no. I often think about that because you figure, you know, the first 20 years of your life was just constant change and you you don't really know what mm-hmm. happened, you know. And so it's just this last part where you're like, oh, okay, I'm kind of living now, you know. And so mm-hmm. now the next 48, you're like, I am smart as hell and I'm going to live my life to the fullest if you're a wise person. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you and you keep listening to Off the Shelf and all of our wisdom and insight. That's right. It's the best way to make sure you don't hate your own life. I mean, honestly, your erroneous zones is helping people to not be uncomfortable in life. And if you think about the things we've talked about so far, it's a lot of discomfort, you know, looking to others for approval, self-doubt, worry, guilt, fear of the unknown. These are uncomfortable places to be. And do we even need to be there? At some point, if that goes on too long, you start to really not like life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm, so I'm guilty of the first four. It's number five, the fear of the unknown that uh, spark something in me when I see it in other people, when they put off those things for another day or because they can't do this or, oh, I, I get so hyped up. Like, I would be a motivational speaker for that. I would totally take people off the rails, of course, but, <laughs> but yeah. I, I can't stand that. I had, I had people in my life who were like that, like, no, we'll do it someday. And they never do, you know. I remember uh, specifically, um, it was people I was with. They they went, they traveled somewhere they had never been, which was even stranger that they had traveled, right? Like, but it was for a sort of a special occasion. And so one of the people wouldn't even go look at the sites or the, like the the famous things that were happening in this place, right? Hmm. They were just like, no, I I don't do those things, so I'm not going to do those things here either. You know, and I was like, hmm, you're never going to come back here. You know, don't you want to see these things? <laughs> like, it just blows right. my mind. Hmm. Who are they punishing is my question on that one. Like, well, and then their spouse stayed with them. Hmm. Ah. Control. Well, hmm. that could be a deep example. Or guilt. Really. Guilt on the other person. Mm-hmm. Guilt. Yeah. Like, well, I don't hmm. want to leave you here alone. Uh, well, you've just missed, the, like, such a great opportunity. 
And it, it just, I have a bazillion examples of that and it drives me bananas. That's why I talk about the things that I do, writing a book just to see if I could and doing those things because it didn't hurt me. I'm still here. My book is on my shelf. And Tisha, the most beautiful thing is you read something like this and you go, I knew it. Right? <laughs> You've always right? known this. It's what di always. differentiated you. Mm-hmm. So part of that is wanting to inspire others to do that. Like, why can't you go do these things? I always wanted to go to California, drive the coast. I've done it twice, right? So then I see these people like, look like, I'm so jealous. I'm so this. Get up and go yourself. <laughs> like, <laughs> the plane wasn't mine. It's public. You know, you can do that. Oh, it drives me nuts. Anyway, we need to get off this topic. You, talk you get yourself all fired up <laughs> over there. <laughs> oh, farewell to anger was in his book. So let's segue there. <laughs> Frustration. Tisha's getting got just spirit spiritated there. <laughs> oh, spiritated. That's, like that. <laughs> That's my new word. Yeah, spiritually irritated. I love that word so much. What he says about anger is. Very interesting. He, he says, um, it, I mean, it's a natural emotional emotion that we would have. So, right. We all feel it. This is universal. No one listening has not felt anger, right? We, it's normal emotion to have. We feel it naturally, but there's no psychological reward for anger, mm -hmm. which is a really mm -hmm. deep point. It can be debilitating and, um, Finding new ways to cope when we're frustrated is actually hard. So it's when we kind of come back off the anger and start shifting to either more calm or forward thinking. What am I going to do now? Why did that irritate me? Maybe being introspective is much more functional than just the anger mm -hmm. itself. There's, there's no psychological reward for anger. And I thought that was a really interesting point he made. I wrote down that the act of anger I mean, the act doesn't make you angry. It's your processing of it, right? Mm -hmm. So somebody could hit your car and you don't know about it. You're not going to be angry because you don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. It's when you find out that it happened that you become angry. So it's not necessarily the act itself. That made so much sense. He also quoted Buddha to say that you won't be punished for your anger, but you, you're punished by your anger. So when people say, let it go... It's because holding on to the mm -hmm. anger hurts you. It doesn't hurt the person you're right. mad at. Like they might go, oh, she's mad at me and then shrug their shoulders and walk away. But you're left with that. It's changing your cells. It's changing your brain wiring. It's changing all of that stuff in you. So let it go. I used to think I was wrong for being able to like let things go like that. I thought people, I thought it was, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, I thought it made me a doormat. Right? Oh, mm -hmm. I get, I get mad when I need to be mad, but it's so, it takes so long to, tr to trigger that, you know? Here's another way you had it right. <laughs> it wasn't anything about being a doormat. It was actually you taking a better road, you mm -hmm. protecting your own self and your own sanity to let go. Well, I have a question. We yeah. need to talk about this, mm -hmm. but you ask your question okay. and I won't forget. Okay. For Kim, as a life coach, like we acknowledge that anger is one of our naturally occurring emotions. So what do you tell people that get, you know, about getting angry and how to 
be okay with it and move on? Is that just acknowledging your feeling, maybe asking yourself why you feel that way, and then just being able to let it go and move forward. So you pretty much nailed it. Answer? Did I answer my own question? <laughs> <laughs> Is that you, be, you become aware of it. So now you're actually aware. You're not just angry. You aren't anger itself. You're feeling the feeling of anger. So now you notice that you're emotionally like, wow, I'm really stirred up right now. This stuck in my craw. This made me angry. This is a thorn in my side, whatever it is uh, that frustrates me. I'm offended, whatever it is. And you get clear about why you feel mm-hmm. that way is the first step. So now you're processing the emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're doing your own work. It's not about changing the world or changing everyone else around It's Like, why is it that you feel that way? And in that way, you start to shift when you understand that, you know, stewing, as we think in anger, is not necessarily good for you, then you figure out what is there an action I need to take? Mm-hmm. Is it something I need to let go of? Is it some, how do I move it and be resilient into forward, some forward action? Is it, you know, somebody was just rude. I'm just going to make sure I'm not rude in that same way is a great way. You just take care of it on your own. Um, knowing that you, it might be a lesson that you just learned. Okay, I'm angry. That failed. I'm going to turn it into a lesson mm-hmm. and just carry that with me for whatever reason that wasn't meant to be. Sometimes people are shifting. Say, say you lost the job you were going after and you really thought it was perfect. It was perfect. You were the right candidate. You might be really angry, but you know, Maybe there's something better for you. It, it apparently wasn't because you didn't get that job, mm-hmm. you know? So whatever it is, that the, it, that's kind of an example of how you yeah. might let go is like, let yourself feel it, get introspective, why you feel that way. What is your going forward action, thoughts, movement, lessons in life and start working with it that way. I just want, I wanted to acknowledge, or I didn't want people to think that we're saying you never, you should never get angry. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Right. And that's a fine line too, because people want to, you know, there's a lot that makes us angry. There's a lot of injustice and there's things, but it's like move it into action Mm -hmm. then find ways to not you know, that's how you channel your anger. I'm like, I see injustice. I want to be a part of a solution and not part of a problem. And so what action am I going to take? I was trying to imagine you angry, Kim, as you were saying that stuck in my craw. Like, that's probably how it sounds when you're really angry. I'm even using like hokey (laughs) sayings. That's probably what it's like when she's really angry for real. I gotta tell you, it's funny. Get off my lawn. When you do this work, it's so funny because you start to really frustrate people. So my husband was so cute in an angry, funny kind of way. He is an angry Italian sometimes and very sweet, but something really got him frustrated. And he was talking about it over dinner with my parents and he's all feisty. I can see him getting all feisty. And I'm like, well, you know, I saw this thing and that's why this does, that's why this, here's a little background. You know, I'm saying all these calm things. And he just looked at me and he was like, you really are uh, Pollyanna, or I don't even remember what he said, but it was like, you really are a rule follower or something. <laughs> like, and yeah. I'm like, do you know me? 
I don't like feeling angry. (laughs) (laughs) And then the next day we talk about it and I, the situation, he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. (laughs) But it, it's like he was just in that moment and I'm sure us listening helped him process that a little bit, but at one point it was like he was angry that I wasn't angry. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that was the point I was going to say. So this is a, a bit of a struggle for me because we do the self-growth every week, right? Either on a spiritual level or on a psychological level. We're talking about this constantly. And we're, I think we also come by it naturally, which is why mm-hmm. our interest is so peaked in these conversations. Like, why the conversations are so easy and we're naturally good at talking about stuff but i get frustrated and i know it's about your inner strength <laughs> and all this other stuff i know that's the answer i got i get so mad at myself speaking of anger where i feel justified in something and then some spiritual lesson comes back to me and i'm like damn it that's the answer like it's in me not out there and i get mad at myself but when people take advantage of you because you're relaxed, like you can process your emotions is essentially it. And you're faced against the people who can't do that, right? So that that's like a lot for me sometimes because I, I just want to be like, didn't you read this book? Because if you did, <laughs> like I said in the beginning, you know, I wanted to hand this book out like candy at Halloween so that more people could be on the same page. It's very frustrating when you're the only one reading that page and everybody else is like watching the movie. That's terrible. So I know, again, the answer is keep up with my own whatever. I'm not seeking approval and all mm-hmm. that. But if it, that's very frustrating for me. It's a tough energy to be around. And you've described something that a lot of people feel and maybe even a universal example. Everyone can relate a little bit probably to the fact that they've been around kind of an angry energy that they couldn't fix it for the person. They mm-hmm. might have tried to offer some assistance or a book or something. And someone's just in an angry, bad time in their life. And sometimes we have to just know that they're going to know or they're going to figure it out when it's their time. Mm-hmm. Or even worse for me, I think, is when people know I don't get angry, so they'll just do things because they figure she's not going to get mad, right? <laughs> so that kind of situation is a struggle for me because then you're like, really? Well, that's where moving into action, as I mentioned before, is a boundary. So you might mm-hmm. find that that's in, instead of anger, you start to vocalize the boundary. I'm not going right. to sit here and listen to you be angry and spew off at me. Um, or you're doing something, you're taking advantage. So because I don't get angry, I'm going to make sure I, I say, don't take advantage of me. Yeah. I'm not putting good. up with that anymore. Mm-hmm. But you're yeah. not responding in anger, but you are setting a boundary for your, for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Not responding in anger. Uh, you know, that's one of the Bible verses that have always stuck with me, like do unto others as you'd have done to you. And I've always believed in that. Like, why would I speak to you ugly if I don't want you speaking mm-hmm. to me ugly? Like, that's just basic. I think most people know that phrase in some part of their life. And I, I guess I just took it to heart more than other people did, you know, from being a kid. Or they or they don't see it or hear it. So they're not. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, too. A couple of things. Either it's just a language they're speaking, so it sounds very angry, and they're not really angry, but it's coming across to you as angry. Or 
I'm trying to think I had a thought and then I almost lost it there, but it's like, sometimes it is how people live and you don't have to. So you don't like being around that energy. Yeah. Right. So the, so anchor was number eight. We skipped over uh justice trap. And I only have one note about that where it was uh the feeling that people have like demanding that life treat them fairly. And uh, his advice was to just cultivate your own garden and keep your nose out of other people's gardens. So that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. And gosh, if we had more people doing that these days, that would be amazing. Uh, Well, that fairness, you know, the whole, that's not fair. This is not fair. And I don't mean this in a justice, like in in the world. I mean, just in the small part, that comparison, mm-hmm. comparing ourselves or whatever, it can waste a lot of your energy. So just kind of, yeah, move forward into your own life. And then where it is an actual social justice issue or anything like that, again, just move into action. What, what, it's not a justice trap if you're, you know, now doing things that you want to do to make mm-hmm. change in the world. So I don't want to get right. that confused. All right. Number seven is procrastination. Number nine is independence. And I didn't, he didn't have any notes. Mm-hmm. He just threw them out. He was like, this is this one and this is this one. So one thing I would say about the procrastination is mm-hmm. it's just, it's a waste of time. And we all do it uh, to some degree and just catch yourself, mm-hmm. catch it as an erroneous zone. Oh, I can't, you know, you know, what? just catch yourself and then it'll feel so good when you actually mm-hmm. do that thing you've been procrastinating about. I think that's, it's just simple on that. And then what was the other one you said? Was it independence? Yes. Okay. The I did take a note on the independence. Basically, um, he mentioned as an example why the divorce rate is so high because we can have two of the ugly, ugly words he's called them dependence and obligation. And so exploring your independence is important that you aren't dependent. We, we're all interdependent in communities and as human beings, we do need each other, but not to a point where you feel trapped or suffocated or mm-hmm. you complete me. I'm only half of a, you know, if you're in a couple, you're only half of a whole or one person starts controlling the other person. These mm-hmm. are erroneous zones. Yeah. Like the person who didn't go, go sightseeing because their spouse didn't go. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you gave us a really good example there. Yeah. there is like a collective sigh i I love that it's it's like you got to reread this and everyone has to read this book and the interesting thing just as another little this is kim trivia not wayne trivia but uh my copy of your erroneous zones is a hardcover book with the copyright 1976. Wow. And I got it at the library book sale. So I think it's an original. Nice. I'm sad you didn't get to see him in real life. By months. Yeah. He died in August of 2015. And I was going to see him as the keynote speaker at a Hay House conference in November of 2015. Well, you could talk to him now. (laughs) 
So <laughs> is it is it Gabrielle? Yes, um, what's her name? Gabby yes. Bernstein. Did she talk about what um, Wayne Wayne Dyer's like her uh, her what's the word mentor <laughs> mentor? Yes, and, and that he spoke to mm-hmm. his daughter through her. Yeah, I heard her talk about that. She somewhere. talked about that in her book, um, Super Attractor. And she, he was a big fan of hers too. You know, he felt like she definitely had the special gift to share more of this information. So he was, he spoke a lot about her and, and he was a big fan of her and a proponent of her as well. And she's certainly a, a big fan. He was a mentor. And I, like I said, he's, he's a super mentor to me yeah. too. He just doesn't know it. He, he just didn't know it. <laughs> he does now. He does. Right. He does. That's right. One of the things he said about death before he died was it's, there is no death. It's a transition. So he knows a lot. <laughs> And you're right. I have, you know, he knows me no, now. it's true. Why not? Why not take advantage of that? You know, you're like, hey, Wayne, what's up? Your husband might get a little concerned, but just leave a note. Everything's okay. I'm just doing podcast homework. And one thing as we come, I know, right? As we come to the sort of the conclusion too, to just say back to the beginning when I read his bio, he has over 40 books. So I highly recommend any or all of them. And also the PBS specials, if people Google, so much of his work, you can hear him talk, Google Wayne Dyer, and he will, you'll see lectures and clips and long things and short things. And it's all out Mm -hmm. there free. So much is out there free. I want to clarify because I think at the beginning you said he wrote 400 books. She did. And and I was I thought, oh, wow. How did Juanita look at each other? That's what I was thinking when you said it. That's hysterical. That's me like, it feels like 400 in my heart. Sorry about that. A little correction. No, we looked at each other like, damn, we are slacking. That's prolific, really. (laughs) And one one of my absolute, absolute favorite is um, uh, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life, Living the Wisdom of the Tao. So just want to throw that out there is it, he he interprets the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu's ancient wisdom. And it's amazing how he does that. And he grew more and more spiritual with his books mm-hmm. over time. And, you know, diving into that topic. And, and it makes sense. He was taking his experience from psychology and just getting deeper and deeper into the human experience and the spiritual experience. And he too would say, we are spiritual beings having mm-hmm. a human experience. Yeah, I've listened to... Yeah. A lot of his talks, like I said earlier, on YouTube. And I like that he just says it so simply and kind of matter of fact. Like his voice is just like that comes across to me like that. Yeah, I think that's why more and more people are, uh, I mean, obviously he's an old timer from back in the 70s, you know, writing about it since back then. But I think a lot more people need that modern twist on mm-hmm. explanations, you know, for it to resonate. Which is why we're, we kind of do what we do too. You know, maybe people won't read these books or they've heard about it, but they're like, yeah. no, I don't and, know. Well, and so. another side note, I kept, I kept thinking I wanted to mention this. So I was two when this book came out in 1976 and he mentioned being on the Dinah Shore show. 
<laughs> Do you got? So I had to look yeah. that up. Like that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> Who's dinosaur? Yeah, I remember the show. I remember the show, but yeah, I forget what he said. It was a funny he said little he bit sang about, about being on, <laughs> on her show. Oh, because because when he was a little kid, his music uh-huh. teacher told him he couldn't sing. And so he just made a point to sing everywhere all the time, whenever possible. Right. Didn't matter how bad it was, because yep. he was just going to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a good motivator. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode. And we certainly appreciate you listening. If you have any questions about our interpretation of this book, reach out to us at slightlyunmeditated.com on our social media pages or email us at good vibes at slightly unmeditated.com and that's it for now i'm tisha i'm juanita and i'm kim and we'll see you next month bye